church, if you could please open up to the book of Micah, chapter 5. Micah, chapter 5. We're continuing in the study of this book this morning. Coming now to chapter 5. In the ESV, it's titled, The Ruler to be Born in Bethlehem. The first several verses here. It is, I know Christmas is technically tomorrow, but I'm just going to say it. It's Christmas. We are here to celebrate the birth of Christ the King. Tomorrow morning we'll gather around trees and open gifts and read the Christmas story and celebrate something wonderful. And I'd like to begin that celebration now in Micah chapter 5. Here's the main idea this morning. The birth of Jesus Christ is both the promise and fulfillment of God's deliverance. God promised deliverance and he fulfilled that deliverance in the birth of Jesus. That's what we're going to see this morning. So just a reminder, our current series is Who is Like Our God? It's a word play from Micah's name, which is Who is Like Jehovah, Who is Like Yahweh. In chapter 1, we saw a holy God who was ready to judge Israel's idolatry. Chapter 2, we saw a just God who puts a price on rebellion. In chapter 3, we saw an honorable God who expects and rules with integrity. In chapter 4, we saw a redemptive God who redeems the broken before destroying the obstinate. And now this week in chapter 5, we will see a mighty God who powerfully delivers his people through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hopefully you're there in Micah chapter 5. I'm going to invite everyone to stand together this morning for the reading of God's holy divine word. Micah chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more 
to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Let us pray. Lord God, we hear your word. Now, Holy Spirit, would you speak it powerfully into our hearts? Well up within us a spirit of joy and celebration at the fulfillment of these precious promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. During Christmas time, one of the passages that's frequently read is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the ESV, it's titled, The Visit of the Wise Men. And in this passage, these wise men are on the search for the King of the Jews, the Christ. These wise men then go on to paraphrase the beginning of Micah 5, our chapter this morning. At the time of Jesus, it was commonly understood that this very passage is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the Christ, and everyone was waiting for its fulfillment. Well, this morning, we get to look at this passage not from a spirit of speculation like they did, but from a spirit of celebration. We don't look forward wondering what will happen. We look back at what did happen, and we celebrate that wonderful truth. And as we look at God's promise here of deliverance, we're going to see that it centers around a person. God's deliverance comes through a he. God isn't just promising deliverance in general. He's promising a deliverer who would do that work. And unlike Israel before Christ, we know who it is. Jesus is the promised deliverer of Micah chapter 5. The one whom the wise men sought all those years ago. In our passage this morning, we're going to see four descriptions of this deliverer. Two describe who the deliverer is, and two describe what the deliverer does. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus is an unlikely and mighty deliverer who empowers and cleanses his people. So let's look at these briefly. Jesus is an unlikely deliverer. If you look in verses 1 through 3 here, we see right in the middle, verse 2, this is actually verse 1 of chapter 5 in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it begins, You, O Bethlehem, you who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you the ruler of Israel shall come. This is an unlikely place for the deliverer to come from, the city of David here. The city that is too little to be counted among the clans of Judah. If you remember in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the last image we saw was of Israel becoming triumphant against her enemies after they take her into captivity. That was in verses 11 through 13 of Micah They will be defeated, and then they will be victorious. But now in chapter 5, they're called here to muster their troops and to prepare for a battle that they will ultimately lose. And as they are preparing for this battle that they know they're going to lose, they have to lose before they're delivered, verse 2 hits with this sprinkle of hope. This leader will arise from this little town of Bethlehem. This is a leader of humble origin. This is the image of Jesus we receive 
in the New Testament. He was born in Bethlehem just as this prophecy stated he would be. But he was also born in a stable and laid in a trough. He wasn't in a palace. There wasn't a huge ceremony. There weren't these important leaders that came and gathered around to pay tribute. He was surrounded by these shepherds. The wise men that we read about weren't even there. They didn't get there until later. So that night of his birth was surrounded by humble demonstration. He was born among animals, and lowly shepherds celebrated the birth of the king of the universe. To have such a ruler come from such an unlikely and lowly place should not have happened, but it did. Why? Because God promised it would be so. In verse 3, we get another unlikely circumstance here. Israel will be given up to her enemies until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So we see again this labor imagery has popped up all through Micah. And it's the idea that there must be pain and then there will be relief from that pain. Well now we see it's also a prophecy. Speaking of someone who will be in labor and giving birth. In Isaiah 7.14, he's a contemporary of Micah, there's a similar prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see in the book of Matthew chapter 1 that Emmanuel means God with us. So this miraculous birth is unlikely here in a couple of ways. First, it's unlikely that it was a virgin birth. It wasn't just a normal birthing situation. This isn't a normal time of labor. This is labor that was given to a virgin. You might think, well, yeah, but they knew that that would happen. The, the prophecy in Isaiah said it would be a virgin birth. But I don't think they would have understood it this way because the word virgin in their language has more than one meaning. It can also refer to just a young woman, not necessarily a virgin like we would use that word. And that's probably how the prophecy would have been understood. The fact that Mary was indeed an actual virgin is baffling. I don't think they would have known it ahead of time. They could only see it looking back. It is impossible, and yet it happened. Second, it was unlikely in that God himself would be born. The eternal, everlasting God, the beginning and the end, the one who is uncreated, would step into his creation and be born by the means of his creation. Verse 2 says that his coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God, before his first act of creation, already planned this moment to be born among his people as their deliverer. So while this promise of a deliverer, in one sense, is unlikely, it's also inevitable. Why? Because the eternal God of the universe promised from before time began. You see, we all live in the realm of the unlikely all the time. We don't know what's going to happen. One of our most common questions, other than why, is what if? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? But God does not live 
in such a place. We may not know what God has purposed, but he knows exactly what his purposes are. He promises, and when he promises, it's not just unlikely, it's guaranteed. It's unlikely for us, but not for him. The fact that his promises from our perspective seem so unlikely serves to exalt God's power when they're accomplished. We look at that and say, well, could that really happen? God does it that way so that when it does happen, we have to say, it was God. God did this. Jesus is an unlikely deliverer. Number two, Jesus is a mighty deliverer. We see here in verses 4 through 6, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. So verses 4 through 6 build on the foundation that was laid in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 is an unlikely ruler. Verses 4 through 6 tell us that this unlikely ruler will be mighty. The phrase, he shall stand here is more than just telling us that he's going to stand up like I'm doing right now. It's used to suggest standing against. It's not just he will be upright, but he will plant his feet and he will not be moved. It is like standing underneath the weight of something, like carrying weight on your shoulders, like maybe the government upon his shoulders. It is to stand against so that he will not be moved, but will overcome like he has overcome our great enemy. His strength will not run out like the strength of normal rulers. The other day I got out to rake some leaves and pine straw up, and I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm working, and then I suddenly realized what it's like to just get older and older and have to take more and more breaks. I would rake and then sit down, ah. rake, sit down. Ah. He never gets tired. His strength never fails. He will never be able to not rescue you. Because his strength is not like the strength of a normal man. It does not run out. He has the strength of the Lord. And because of his strength and greatness... Verse 4 elaborates that his people shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This man, this deliverer, will be a man of immeasurable power. This deliverer is Jesus Christ. During his time on earth, Jesus gave sight to the blind. He healed the lame and the sick. He commanded nature. He brought the dead back to life. He spoke and his creation just obeyed. Jesus is powerful. Why is it that we sometimes think he can't handle our issues? Why is it that we think he just can't handle our burdens? He can, and he's ours. He belongs to those who have made him Lord over their lives. But this power alone isn't really enough to be comforting. 
There are countries around the world right now that have tremendously powerful leaders, but these people in these countries do not live in peace like we do, for they abuse their power. What if God were like this? What if God were to be of immeasurable power, but not be loving or comforting? But he's not, for we see here that this deliverer is not only powerful, he is a shepherd. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. And when he raises up his people, he will raise against his enemies seven shepherds and eight princes. Verse 6, they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword. This word pops up over and over and over again. God is not just powerful, he is our shepherd. He is looking out for our good. He uses his power to feed and guide and protect his flock. This is where our comfort comes from. In verse 5, Tom pointed out earlier, this, he shall be their peace. In the Hebrew there, it doesn't say, he shall be their peace. We see that in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's in the emphatic sense, meaning it takes this previous statement, he shall stand and shepherd. He shall have the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great. And then it says, this shall be their peace. We know it's talking about a hymn, but he's trying to emphasize, it's like if someone comes up to you and says, how is it that you can always be at peace? Your life looks like it's falling apart right now. Why do you have joy? Why is it that you don't stop smiling? And then you point behind the person at whom you're looking at and you say, this is why I have peace. This. It's not just he's peace, it's this is my peace. It is this mighty shepherding deliverer. Who is Israel's peace? Their mighty shepherd. Just like David, who as a shepherd fought off beasts to protect his flock, Jesus is our shepherd who fights off our enemies to protect us. This is why Jesus came. We have an enemy greater than this army in verses 5 through 6. Our greatest enemy is Satan, the enemy of old. And his power is the power of sin in our lives. But our great shepherd, Jesus, was born that this enemy might be eliminated forever. If you are not a believer this morning, please listen carefully. The power of Jesus is no comfort to those who do not know him as shepherd. For they will only ever know him as judge. But Jesus offers to all of us that we might turn to him, make him our shepherd, and know his peace. To all those who turn from their sin and submit to Christ as king, their sin will be forgiven and overcome by his mighty power. So what does Jesus do with this power? Number three, Jesus is an empowering deliverer. Jesus is an empowering deliverer. Look at verse 7. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. We see in verses 7 and 8 here a repeated phrase, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many 
people. It's altered slightly, but it's very similar both times. And immediately after each phrase, there's a description for the remnant. So there's two descriptions here. The first is a description of the remnant being due from the Lord. And the second, the remnant is described as a young lion. These images tell us what the delivered will do in Jesus' name. Number one, we see do, the image of refreshment, of watering, of giving life. God's people are like the dew that waters the earth. They give life to those around them. They give them purpose, security, and peace. They are a source of refreshment in the midst of a dry and arid desert. And God's people mimic actual dew in another way. People have no control over it. Look here in verse 7. It's like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. So dew doesn't wait for man to say, okay, I'm ready for it now. It just happens whether you're ready for it or not. And in the same way, God empowers his delivered people to give life to those around them. That is why we are delivered. We can do this in a number of ways. Patience with others who annoy or offend us. Grace and forgiveness towards those who wrong us. Gentleness and kindness towards those who irritate us. Our comments to people, building up instead of tearing down. Our generosity towards others, sacrificing for their benefit. Now all kinds of people try to act like this, but what makes Christians so refreshing is this key that I just pointed out in verse 7. Just like actual do. It's that people have no control over our replenishing effects. It cannot be stopped. Imagine our previous list, but in front of each item you place the word undeserved. Undeserved patience. Undeserved grace. Undeserved kindness. Undeserved building up. Undeserved generosity. If you think about our actions, many times in our flesh, we delay these life-giving acts of service depending on how others treat us. Isn't this interesting? Unlike the do, man does have control over us, and we do delay our replenishing effects, but it ought not to be so. In other words, what we're saying is you must deserve the do that God provides through me. But God empowers us to live out undeserved kindness towards others. Why? Because Jesus has given it to us first. At Christmas, we receive a gift that we didn't earn. Just like we celebrate every year now. When our kids open up the gifts under the tree, they didn't pay for those gifts. They received them because we love them. And Jesus has so been given to us. It is the undeserved deliverance and kindness of Jesus that empowers us to give undeserved due to those around us. The second image here in verse 8 is of a young lion, and it's a different kind of empowering. This empowering enables us to fight and defend. It's the image of a lion protecting a flock of sheep. This is justice, standing up for those who are oppressed or hurting. 
This doesn't always apply to mean people. It doesn't always apply. We always think of like good guy and bad guy, okay? We need to defeat the bad guy to save the, the good people. But it doesn't always apply this way. People can be oppressed in a number of ways. Yes, people can be oppressed through corrupt systems of oppression or strong individuals who oppress. Christians can and should speak out against these things. But people can also be oppressed and attacked in other ways. Depression, self-loathing, anxiety, worry, patterns of sinfulness, addiction. The enemy has many darts in his arsenal. Many darts. God empowers his people to help deliver others in their moments of need. We aren't merely saved so that we might enjoy salvation. We are saved to help lead others to salvation. God empowers us to be joint deliverers with him. We come alongside him and he uses us to help deliver people. It's not that we have the power of deliverance. That belongs to Christ. But we have the privilege of deliverance. We get to be tools in God's hands to be used for his saving purposes in the lives of others. That's number three. Jesus is an empowering deliverer. And finally this morning, Jesus is a cleansing deliverer. Verses 10 through 15. In this final leg of chapter 5, we have both a promise and a warning. In that final day, we see that God will do a lot of cutting off that begins here in verse 9. And then we see the list pick up here starting in verse 10. I will cut off your horses. Verse 11, I will cut off the cities. Verse 12, I will cut off the sorceries. Verse 13, I will cut off your carved images. This is the language of deliverance of a very specific kind. It's a deliverance from idolatry. Israel trusted in almost any and everything other than the Lord. God was supposed to be Israel's protector. God was supposed to be Israel's source of revelation. God was supposed to be Israel's object of worship. Jesus came to deliver us and cleanse us from our self-sufficiency so that we might enjoy humble dependency. In these days, God will cut off all these sources of strength that Israel is pulling from. And he will be their source of strength. And Jesus came to do the same thing. He came to cut off and to cleanse us from all these things that we're clinging to and hoping in so that we might hope in him alone. You know, we do a really good job of setting up barriers to protect us from having to depend on God. When he saves us, he saves us from our idolatry so that we might lean on him for what we need. God will not save you just to allow you to continue to wallow in sin. Sin is the very thing he's saving us from. He came to cleanse us. To use the language of verse 14, he will root it out of your life. Listen to his words in Matthew 18, 7 through 9. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal 
fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. There's this common idea today that Jesus never really spoke about hell. If he didn't, I really don't know what this is. Jesus came to cleanse. He came to cleanse the world. That is God's ultimate purpose for us and for all of these promises. He's cleansing the world, and he wants his people to live as a people that are being cleansed. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. So many times we want to turn from our sin, but we don't cut it off at the root. When I was in youth group in high school, they would always tell us the time to defeat your physical temptation is not when you were alone with a girl, it's beforehand. You decide that that's not going to happen. But what happens is we wait and get in that moment and think, I'll be strong enough, and you won't. Adults, we do the same thing. We think we'll be strong enough in the moment, but we won't. We need to be intentional about our cutting off because God is cleansing us from our sin. And like we saw in this passage in Matthew, we see here in Micah, there are two ways that God will cleanse. The first is through the cleansing of forgiveness. This is the removal of sin without the destruction of the sinner. I've been cleansed by the removal of sin without me being destroyed, a sinner. But there is another type of cleansing. This is the cleansing of judgment. This is the removal of sin through the destruction of the sinner. This is what we see here in Micah verse 15. This anger and wrath that God will execute on the nations that did not obey. The way to obey is humility. Bow the knee to our Lord and Savior. Just as the shepherds did and the angels appeared and sang and everyone gathered around and they bowed down to the king. That is what obedience to our God looks like. It is submission. Only Jesus can be peace to us and deliverance from our sin. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So church, may we celebrate that we have such an unlikely yet mighty deliverer. May we be a life-giving, protective witness of his deliverance from sin, demonstrating his cleansing power in our lives and calling others to him before the cleansing fire of judgment is executed against all those who do not obey. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that all those years ago, you promised the deliverer who would be born in Bethlehem. You promised a child who would be born in humility, who none would look to because of royalty, who would be born in a lowly state. He would be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. You have given to us Jesus Christ, and we thank you. Lord, as your delivered people Will you teach us to trust you? Even in those situations that it seems your work or your acts are the most unlikely. 
Would you teach us to trust your mighty right hand? Would you teach us to flee from our sin which you are cleansing us from? Would you empower us, Lord, to be refreshing life to people, to protect those who cannot protect themselves, and to lead others to you that they may be delivered as well? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.